0: okay great yeah i feel uh, much more relaxed than last time i don't know why i wasn't expecting to be nervous i mean i'm not a nervous person when it comes to speaking really because i do a lot of it but last time i was quite surprised to find myself weirdly kind of self-conscious and nervous but now i feel great now i just feel like uh i got my kinks out last time
1: it's good yeah,
0: yeah. How, how are you feeling
1: a bit tired yeah yeah why Uh, I watched Eurovision, stayed up late, got a lot of beer in my system. Was it good? The beer or the Eurovision? Uh, Both. Uh, I mean, Eurovision's weird, but it's fun to watch. I mean, I wouldn't want to watch it every weekend, but I think once a year, it's kind of fun.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I'll steal a a point that Ari made last night. We chatted about it because everyone was posting on Facebook about it. We were sort of joking about how it's funny that, like, lots of people who, you know, kind of left-leaning, kind of tend to be anti-nationalist, you know, kind of cosmopolitan types get really into this kind of, like, nationalist uh, spectacle, right? Or or I guess you could argue that it's, like, that it is a cosmopolitan kind of supra-European kind of uh, affair.
1: Yeah, because you can't vote for your own country.
0: Oh, true, right. So it's kind of anti-nationalist. Right. So you can kind of cheer for your own
1: country, but uh, the other thing that's kind of weird is that, like, how people engage with it really differs from country to country, I mm.
0: think. Like oh, yeah, they, they've done, like, empirical voting analysis, haven't they?
1: <laughs> There's, like, one article, I'm not sure... Yeah, YouGov did, like, a poll oh, okay. and uh, of, like, motivations for watching Eurovision, and... Basically, Brits, the motivation is to laugh at everyone. And uh, kind of the further east you go, I think the more it's like cheer on your own country. So a lot of probably newly independent countries, I think, put way more stock in doing well. And uh, I I was pretty serious. Like Sweden, Sweden really brings its A game. I think they, they have, like, a serious investment in it. Um, who else? Like, France France and, and Italy are serious about it. But I think it's is because they're, like, serious countries when it comes to the arts. And they're not fucking around. Mm. And then, like, other countries, you're just like, what the fuck? Like, Georgia and Cyprus... There's a few countries where it's it's clearly just some weird thing, and then like there's also these different genres, right? There's like some like bad pop metal bands, like basically bad hair metal bands from the '80s. It like and that seems to be like Central European countries do that, and then like a lot of a lot of ladies who, like to belt it out. That's kind. Of, I think that's kind of the winning formula mm. normally.
0: Yeah, I hate to be a downer, but I kind of feel like, I mean, I. I had fun last year when we came over and watched it with you two, just because it was fun to hang out with you two. Uh, we could have switched out Eurovision for anything else, and I would have enjoyed it. Um, I think Eurovision itself, I, I think it's kind of kind of dumb. <laughs> I don't. I kind of don't understand. Maybe I just don't. Maybe I just haven't accessed. It's it's uh, it's it's charmfully. I mean, I guess I see that it's you know there's weird, interesting kinds of entertaining, amusing acts, but um, yeah, on the whole, I kind of don't really feel pulled too pulled into it does that make me stupid uh heathen no not at all uh-huh so tell me other shit tell me uh, well, so why <laughs> did you drink a lot how did you How much did you well, drink
1: well you're supposed to get drunk when you watch eurovision is that
0: part of the tradition
1: yeah i think the idea is it starts at like well for us it starts at eight for like other countries it starts at nine if that's the other kind of really weird thing is the further east you go. So like Russia, it's going to start like 10 or 11. So it's really kind of late at night party thing, right? Mm. Um, Are there betting markets for it? Oh, it's massive yeah. betting. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you mess with that? Uh, no, I never really... Pl- I should play the betting markets. We should, I think
0: just... I might start playing the betting markets. Just a little bit here and there. I'm just kind of intrigued.
1: I think we should go to the betting shop
0: man, right now and go play some bets. No, I would, I would only do interesting kind of political betting online. Oh, you probably can't do that at the fucking Ladbrokes. Sure, you can. Can you political betting? I don't know. Let's go find out. You mentioned this last time. I think you're really keen to start. <laughs> yeah, gambling. I say we
1: should go gamble. I say what we do is we put a small pool of cash together, like a little betting pool, and we probably will lose it all. But mm. we could like make some bets and then track them on this podcast and
0: then see how we do. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, we could do... For science, not for profit. We could use crowdsourced forecasting, uh, which is actually really pretty incredible how it works. Did, uh, did you Do you know about this stuff? No. Did you know that basically for a, lot, for a certain class of political events, if you ask normal, just educated, uh, fairly informed, but typical people mm-hmm. their sort of a opinion or judgment or prediction about what's yeah. going to happen, and you ask a bunch of them and you average it out, that is often... Uh, a better predictor than asking a bunch of experts.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: I yeah, think, they've uh, done tests with... Yeah, the, the problem
1: is the betting markets, think they also change the odds, right? So it's not straight up odds for... Like right now, you'd get very bad odds if you wanted to bet Hillary Clinton for president, right? Because I think they, they figure it's 80% probability.
0: Yeah, right, so you bet like 50 and you would get like, you know, 5 or something yeah. if, you, if you win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, so... do you know what Trump is getting?
1: Well, I assume he's getting like 19 or 20 if she's getting 80. Oh, but there are, but there are lots of other so far, possibilities, so right? Well, now it's basically down to 2. And maybe they leave
0: 1% for random events. To be honest, I, I don't actually understand too much. Of, of, I don't understand too, too well how it works. Because, how, I mean, are, are the bets set up so that it's, you're betting on Hillary as opposed to some other sort of outcome? Or yeah, it's
1: Hillary winning or any other outcome.
0: Versus any other possible outcome, Yeah, right? Okay, yeah. I mean,
1: there's, there's... Like, in any kind of gambling, there's also more intricate bets, right? So you can do, like... Like, the, the kind of betting I really like is the track. I like the horse track. So I like to go to the track. Really? It's why yeah, why do you like, it, a, it's like it's a three-hour event. You get a program the day before, and you can kind of do a bit of research. Then you go to the track, and it's, like, normally 10, 12 races. And they're really fast, like, two minutes each. And there's a little gap in between, and you place bets... On each race, mm. it's kind of a good afternoon out. I think it's very decadent.
0: Why do you think it's decadent? I think it's shameful. Why? Um, because it's for rich people. No, it's not at all.
1: Yeah, you never been to a track, have you? Yeah, and no,
0: I'm just talking out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> my own, all all <laughs> I, I, I know, all I all I know about the track is well, I know my grandfather used to go, but I never went, and yeah, I mean, it, no, but there, but it is sort of bifurcated in the sense that. It is it, it There is a sort of elite, like wealthy elite, that attends it and is associated with it. And then there's sort of like the poor, uh, kind of like self-destructive gambling class. Oh, the
1: whole the track's completely self-destructive gambling for the regulars, right? But for the people with
0: money who can burn that money, it's it is sort of a, an elite luxury, isn't it?
1: Uh, the people with money. So the elite, they don't really bet. I mean, they do gamble too, but they they're the horse owners. Hmm. And for them, the actual gamblings, whether well, not their horse wins and the prizes they win, and mm. there's a whole weird political economy attached to it, right? Right. So basically, like at the high end, what you're trying to do is buy a horse for cheap, have it win a bunch of races, then breed it off, and that's where the real money's made. It's like, you can get a mm. championship horse, his DNA is then good for breeding. Mm. Kind of the low end, the low like the low end rich people, like they'll do like, uh, like. There's things called claiming races, so you go, like one of the ways they make sure the races aren't, they have, the races are all like a class, right? So you never put like a Kentucky Derby horse in like your local track mm. race, right? So there's these things called claiming races, so anyone can claim the horse, is that in that race they pay a certain amount of money, right? So it basically discourages you from racing a horse if it's got any value at all. Mm. And the dodgier the track, the lower the claim is, because basically the horse is... And I would go to very dodgy tracks. Okay.
0: Wait, so, but have you... Do you know that article by Hunter S. Thompson about sort of, you know, the decadence of uh, the horse tracks? Do you know this article? No, no. I forget the title of it. I think it was, a. a It was a, you know, one of his characteristic uh, kind of gonzo journalist yeah. investigative pieces. Uh, I think it was about the Kentucky Derby. I haven't read it. I don't know, so I can't speak to it. I was yeah. only grazing it because the title is something like you know the the decadence of the of the Kentucky Derby or some shit like that. Yeah. But it's basically, if I recall correctly, it's, um, yeah, it's basically a critique of of that culture as being, uh, really decadent.
1: Well, yeah, but it's a Kentucky Derby. It's like the the highest of the high, right? <laughs> it's yeah. Like there's like hundreds of thousands of horse races around the world every year, and the Kentucky Derby is like the pinnacle. It's like the top horse race, mm-hmm. to the top horses. Well, I right? think
0: cultures should be judged by their highest representative.
1: Uh maybe. I mean we could just go to like the local well, actually we're pretty close to the Windsor track. Windsor track's probably our closest track and it's like, a pretty posh track. That oh, was it? Like the whatchamacallit? We'll it's the Royal Ascot, right? It's like it's right next to the Windsor Castle and that's the Feed Race of Horses. I would, go like, I, would I would check it
0: out.
1: Yeah, and that's like the high end where people dress up in all their crap and whatever. Do you right? have to pay just to get in? For the like for what, the main Royal Ascot? Just race? to go in yeah. and look around. Uh, it varies. It varies a lot. Most, like, the I haven't really done a British track. I've done, like, a lot of American ones. So I'd go to, like, a Montreal one. So growing up, I'd go to Blue Bonnets. Hmm. And that was, like, Montreal. And that wasn't even, like, thoroughbred racing. That was um, buggy racing. They had, like, a little horse. And a little, the rider be behind a buggy because the horses were shit. And then there's also quarter racing because the horses are gang crap. They're not purebred. So they just, like, run shorter distances. And then... Uh, Minneapolis had a really good thoroughbred track called Canterbury Park, and that was fun. And there were a couple of guys in grad school who were, like, serious horse pickers.
0: Mm. Don't they, if they lose, don't they, like, kill them or something? Uh...
1: Is that a thing? Yeah, of course. It's, fuck,
0: it's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> well,
1: that's what they do to humans, too. Not if you lose one
0: race. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: If you lose the game of life, they throw you off benefits and leave you to die. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's a capitalism, baby. Yeah,
0: it's fucked up. They don't kill Do you them if they it?
1: lose.
0: Do you uh, support that? Do you support what? capitalism? They support capital. I'm talking about horse racing here, man. No, but we're, we're transitioning. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean... You can go back to horse racing. I'm I just I
1: mean... Uh, I don't have, like... I mean, yeah, it's a of the animals, but, like, I'm vegetarian... And so I don't have that much guilt around animal exploitation because I figure I've like consumed far less animal flesh in my life than the average human.
0: Oh, okay. So you feel so like you've I feel done like your less part. Less
1: guilt, <laughs> and then I mean I'm not saying it's morally defensible. I couldn't like publish a coherent philosophical journal article saying horse racing is justified and eating meats, not. Like, I'm not gonna take that. Not gonna out. take that argument. But you know, it's kind of like. I don't know, like I walk to work every day and so if like one day rather than walking over here I were to drive, like yeah that acts like kind of selfish and lazy and bad for the environment but I'm like yeah, you know my general net environmental actions well they're still pretty crap because I'm a first world guy and fly around a lot but you know, I don't feel that guilty about it.
0: I think we could write a philosophical journal article about the justifiability of horse racing. I think the basic argument would be horses can't make Computers and uh, restaurants and uh-huh. skyscrapers, but humans can. Therefore, horses can't win the race. Then humans have the right to kill them. They
1: don't kill the horses <laughs> if they don't win the race. That's not true. Uh, they, yeah. If they get injured, they're if they get like irrevocably injured, they often do get destroyed. So it's kind of sometimes a bit more nasty. Like if they, they horse race and they break a leg or a hoof and it's not seen as easily repairable they'll often put the horse down
0: Mm. okay i mean do you think that do you think that something that i often think about is I, i mean i basically support animal rights perspectives even sort of radical ones i'm friends with a lot of vegans and i basically think it is fucked up to exploit animals in any way including to to kill them, to eat them, whatever. I do basically kind of su- basically support that, I feel like. Yeah. So if someone asked me and I had to go on the record what I think, it would be, yeah, I think eating animals is fucked up. I think killing animals is fucked up. I think we should try to do it as little as possible. That's what I would say. But I do often think a lot. Uh, I find my mind going in different directions sometimes and kind of playing with other ideas. Such as, for instance, I mean, the one thing, I oh, I, don't even, I don't even know if this is intelligent or sophisticated. This might actually just be stupid when I say it. But I do often find my mind thinking about the simple fact that the, the animals kill each other, right? And this is just sort of the, the order of the animal kingdom. Yeah. And especially when you think about animals that kill humans, right? Like, you know, predators, right? Like bears and, and lions and things like that. And I sort of feel like, I don't know if you're familiar with sort of the, the more proper philosophical arguments here. But I sort of feel like creatures that have no regard for, you know, sparing other creatures of pain and even could and and if given the opportunity would gladly eat me i feel like that's a different uh philosophical puzzle regarding whether or not we can shoot them or or eat them or whatever or or domesticate them i my mind always wants to say that if it doesn't if the animal doesn't give a shit about killing or causing pain to other animals and especially me then why should i care about it and why should i not participate in the animal kingdom just like they do because we are what animals would kill you Bears, right? Like mountain lions, lions, uh, large cats.
1: I don't know. If, I don't know what... Uh, so bears, no. I mean, I've met black bears. They normally
0: just take off. Even grizzlies tend to stay away. But, I mean, even like, um, let's say like a deer, right? Or like a... Even like a fox or something. Like a... Some, you know, uh, <laughs> possums, whatever. Sort of the actual... Awesome. The actual animals... I'm just saying as random examples of animals we actually could see in, in neighborhoods or whatever, potentially. Yeah. Those would kill us if they could, but yeah. they can't. They're not choose. they're not like being moral towards us. Um, they're, they're, they are they would kill us if they could, they simply can't. That's just power, right? That's just force. They don't have the force to. Yeah. So. What I do don't know then? if they would or not. It depends the animal. Well, in general, they go around killing whatever they can to eat, right? Uh, I don't know. Well, my point is, my question to you is, Uh, Doesn't that affect sort of the justification of whether or not we can kill or eat animals? Why? Well, I have a hard time understanding sometimes why, how can you have a moral obligation to a creature that does not have moral obligations to any other creatures or to you? Uh, how okay,
1: moral obligation? Okay, so I guess there's like two issues. We don't have there, to right? talk about this. If no, this we is like can two... I mean, I think it's, it's, it's I'm not... I'm not I'm actually I actually haven't really read much of the animal rights literature. Just what, what, what so, do you think, whatever you think. Uh, well, okay. Thought one, your argument kind of rests on a bit of a false analogy, right? Because we don't... We don't hunt animals, for most of our consumption of meat, right? Like, I don't know what it is, but it's definitely in, well, in like any twenty first century political economy, it's gotta be sure like next to null the amount of hunt. Like, when's the last time you ate hunted meat?
0: Yeah, only rarely, right? When like, I go to like the farmers market or something,
1: right? Oh, so even there, it's like commercial hunt. Yeah, right? like yeah, how, like yeah. when have you ever killed something and eaten it yourself? I have not, done Right, and, like, what percentage of people do you think have yeah, done small. that, right? Yeah. Very small.
0: So, it's not like... So the argument is against the system of mass
1: yeah. farming? And I mean, yeah, most yeah. of stuff is, like, against the the breeding, captivity, and slaughter of animals. I think, like, people who hunt are on, like, a different moral plane to my existence. I'm like, okay, like, like at least you put the work in. Yeah. Right? Whereas this kind of mass production system it's like we're breeding animals in very weird ways uh, and basically not letting them live even pleasant existences and then butchering them and mass producing them and producing weird shit.
0: Right which is I think really hard to justify. Yeah. I I mean there are very few people who even would really. Um, Yeah. Uh,
1: But I think the other thing is like it kind of also rests on this false equivalence that like I think if you were to, let's just, if you're just to make the observation, like, okay, what animal, okay. So, if you're making the argument that what justifies you killing animals is that animals kill human beings as species, right? And therefore, you're justified to kill animals because they kill or would kill humans. without fear All right. What, What species is most likely, what species killed more humans than any other species this year? Humans. Yeah, and so then logically you said that you justified then in killing and hunting humans and eating them. Probably so. Right? <laughs> I would agree, I think. So, I mean, that strikes me when you kind of, you know, when you kind of reach an absurd conclusion, you may want to think about the logic of stuff, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't think that one person killing or threatening you thereby justifies you killing them.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, I guess we agreed on the point, though, that, Hunting is sort of a different moral plane. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, I'm just playing with ideas. I don't have a, I don't really have a no. horse in this race to uh, uh, yeah. go, go back anyway, to. Horse racing is fun, even if it's immoral.
1: Fair enough. I don't know. Probably is immoral. I
0: find it more socially um, unappealing than uh, problematic with respect to animal rights.
1: I think we should go to a track, and then
0: you report back what you think. So, basically, I'll write the update to Hunter S. Thompson's article. Yeah,
1: no, I think we should go do that. I think, I find it, I find it a fun activity. I mean, you can do it other ways. People, like, normally just, you just bet on sports, right? Sporting events. Mm. Uh, or you could play casino games. Like, he used to play poker, right? So, you know.
0: Yeah. We should, uh, yeah, we should do that. I would support that. And then we could talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. Maybe we could do a live podcast from the, uh, what's it called? The, what's the posh British one?
1: Uh, well, the the race is the little ascot I can't remember I mean, uh You can look it up right now. It's a now. great name.
0: It's no, like there. I said, I need to get, like, a unpaid intern who can do the oh, Google okay. searches for us while we're All talking.
1: Right. I mean, or we could just go bet on sporting events.
0: Or we could just go hunting.
1: We could go hunting. In the common. Yeah.
0: Uh, have you ever gone hunting? No. Would you?
1: No. I mean, I, I, think I, I guess would. I, I don't go hunting, hunting. I mean, I've killed animals. I shot a squirrel when I was, like, 16.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I tried to trap them. I remember, never yeah. successfully though. Yeah, I um, killed a
1: frog once.
0: You did? Yeah, but then it's I a was common like, thing, especially for young boys. It's yeah, f- it's fucked I mean, up, we but were, it's common. We were
1: like out camping, and a friend had a pellet gun, and uh, you know, yeah, you, you start shooting beer cans, and then you start shooting animals, and then I was kind of like, that was kind of pointless. I, like, I just took a life for no point.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. It's a it's a really good predictor of future kind of psychopathy. And why? Well, no, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, when people do that as a young kid in a, in a sort of repeated and insistent way, yeah, uh, like torturing animals, like if you, if there's like a young boy who's like getting really into it as kind of like a habit, mm-hmm. going out and kind of, you know, like burning, you know, burning uh, grasshoppers and this kind of like sadistic uh, cruelty to, to animals. Yeah. You actually sometimes see that as a pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I don't have a citation so for this. I think it's for obvious reasons uh tends to be more common in young boys um uh, but i i believe i've read that it's a it's a good predictor of future uh, you know serial killers and psychopaths <laughs> that, oh, of that kind of nature Interesting.
1: yeah there's been a story about someone there's probably a cat serial killer in london the police are concerned about
0: a serial killer cat
1: yeah no not a cat serial killer it's a human who's going on killing cats oh really yeah That's and we
0: no shit yeah how many of the, how many cases so far
1: I don't know. I, I mean, I imagine it'd be a lot to get the police to care, right? Like, mm. but there's presumably someone going around London getting their rocks off, mutilating cats, and a lot of them aren't strays; they're just you know pet cats.
0: Damn, that's that's fucked up. I don't I, yeah. I don't really like cats. Like a lot of people love cats. I don't dislike them. Uh, Aria kind of wants to get one, but I don't want to get one. But we have two uh, that hang out on this roof right here. Yeah, uh, and they're they're cool shit. I li- I really like having them around. Yeah. Like I like their presence. I just don't want to have to take care of them. And I don't want them in the house, but that's just because I'm a fucking Grinch. Yeah. Anyway, um, that, so that's sad to hear that someone's killing cats. Um, is that a common thing, like serial uh, killing of animals? I don't know. I just remember seeing this in the news one a couple of mornings. I wrote it a couple of times over
1: the last couple of months. Again, if we had an intern, we could look this kind of stuff up. So let, let's get some money here, Dr. Murphy.
0: Yeah, well, once to- this podcast blows up and I have a massive audience... Probably gonna have sponsors coming at yeah. me, and I have, and I've, and I'm gonna have to think about how I want to play that. Yes. Part of me, the bigger part of me, says I want to have no sponsors ever, because uh, yeah. I hate that shit, and I think it's stupid, and I think it just contaminates the the feel of everything and the effect that it has. Um, yeah. But part of me is like, if there's some way to milk rich people for like money, uh, I might want to try to come up with it. But part of me thinks I'm just gonna start a bunch of online businesses this summer. Oh, yeah. And if one of them blows up, then fuck it, I'll do whatever I want.
1: What, like, selling ebooks and stuff, or what? No,
0: I had this one business idea. Do you want to hear about it? Sure. What is it? Um, so, wealthy people have a lot of money, but the one thing that they typically don't have is, like, meaning in their life. Okay. And often, you know, people who are really wealthy, or a good fraction of people who are highly wealthy, you know, re- the real proper sort of, uh, the real sort of point zero, let's say, let's say 0.05%. There's a good fraction of that 0.05% that have really shitty kind of personal, interpersonal mental lives. Uh And so there is this sort of trend where uh, mercenary social scientists from different fields will kind of use their their academic credibility to make these little like boutique kind of private consultancy type businesses Uh where they basically sell their academic social science knowledge to different types of people or organizations so for instance this is common among i've seen this like anthropologists have done this like i saw recently this anthropologist woman with a phd you know really brilliant woman um who has this kind of like boutique consultancy uh she does like the so, she does like the anthropology and the sociology of fashion uh-huh. and she has this sort of little business basically where she uh sells herself as kind of like the personal stylist and kind of life coach for people who want to become more attractive and want to know how to dress and know how to mm. interact with people to maximize their yeah. you know, their, their, their social capital, basically. Uh, so, so there's this sort of move to basically use your academic knowledge and your academic credibility to make this these like little boutique consultancies where you basically sell people your knowledge as service yeah um, in a way that's not just kind of like the traditional form you would think of academics going into private industry and like working for a big engineering uh, yeah. you know, firm or something like that. Uh, it's this more smaller scale online kind of boutique consultancy for like lifestyle yeah. uh, needs basically. Uh, and I think it's ridiculous and pretty dumb uh, for the most part. And just, I, find it, I find it just offensively like mercenary um, personally. But I was thinking what, something that I could do is start such a boutique consultancy type thing where I exploit wealthy people. Uh, which to me would feel less mercenary and less uh, ugly and and, yeah. and stupid. And so here's the proposal: um, it would be for wealthy people who have a shitload of money but have no meaning in their life and hate themselves. And because you know, pursuing money and making a lot of money is highly correlated with having like meaningless lives and uh, being like a shitty person and not knowing how to deal with all of those uh, emotions and baggage that come that come from that. Uh, so basically, I would sell really really rich people life coaching on how to find uh meaning in their life basically and how to feel like a good person so basically i would teach really wealthy people how to for instance have a free-spirited conversation with their friends and family in a way that doesn't feel exploitative or doesn't feel uh alienated so basically i would be exploiting the alienation of wealthy people uh, and be selling my i would present myself as a social scientist who knows uh, who is an expert on the dynamics of alienation and disalienation and meaning in one's life and feeling, you know, psychology, political psychology, things like this? I would market myself as that, um, and I would charge wealthy people exorbitant sums uh, for these kind of like for this kind of like bullshit package of self-help services. What do you think? I think if you're <laughs> gonna do that, you shouldn't put this podcast online. Mm. <laughs> well, no, because yeah. I, no, no, I, I actually don't, I actually don't think so because I think wealthy people are so preoccupied and busy. Uh-huh. and kind of uh, stupid in some sense, that I can actually be totally transparent in what I'm saying right now. I can even say this to them transparently. So if I'm hired by a wealthy person uh, to do this, I will tell them, look, I think you're an idiot. I think that you live a shitty life. I think that you're a bad person. I think that you are doing everything totally wrong. <laughs> but what I'm selling them, no, listen, seriously, what I'm selling them is that radical, complete, unmitigated honesty that they can't get from anyone else around them because everyone around them tends to be psychophants. So basically, what I'm saying right now, uh, kind of mocking this idea and kind of uh, belittling the the rich people that I want to exploit, mm-hmm. um, is is I, I can I can be perfectly consistent and transparent now and in this in this business venture because I would say the same thing to their face and they would pay me for it because it would really help them to know these things.
1: All right, I say do it.
0: All right, there you go. So that's just one of my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kind of have a few other ideas, like harebrained ideas. What other ideas for, you got? Well. That's enough for now. That's the most sort of worked out one. I'll I'll let you know the other ones as I work them out. Um, But my idea is, I mean, this is what startup people do, right? They just launch, like serial entrepreneurs, right? They just Mm. launch one startup after another, and you just wait until one catches on, and then you're good. Mm. Uh, So I might kind of try to play with that model uh, of of living Mm -hmm. uh, and of trying to toy with possible alternative pathways to... Economic self sufficiency, alongside or potentially, you know, one day maybe instead of academia, if academia doesn't, you know, it's nice to have your options open. I think. Yeah. What do you think about that? Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> well, the thing with the the business plan I have about exploiting rich people, I think it won't be that that much work. Do you want know you want to know the way I'm going to start it. It's going, going to be my first like. Test drive of it. All right. I'm gonna mark. I'm gonna make a website that launches this boutique consultancy, and it's gonna make it look like it's a thing. But uh-huh. it, I didn't actually do any work for it yet. All I do is okay. make a website, but it looks like there's this big, you know, organization uh-huh. machinery behind it. Uh, and then the first product I'm gonna offer is an ebook, <laughs> on, on basically you know pitching this idea about how yeah. wealthy people with meaningless lives can totally find a, find themselves uh-huh. um, through my unique method. Yeah. Um, and the ebook is gonna cost five hundred pounds. Uh-huh. It's just going to be like a hundred pages, but of, of specific tips and tricks of how wealthy people can revolutionize their lives and find meaning and disalienation. Yeah. It's going to be like about a hundred pages. Uh, it's going to have some how many bull- words? Um, I don't know. Let's I don't know. We'll figure that out later. But basically, what I'm here's the, here's the thing. Because you said it's going it sounds like a lot of work. Here's why it's not a lot of work. I'm gonna set, I'm gonna put it on the market first without having written any of it, without having even thought about it. So basically, I could do this in one day, put up this website, put up this product, charge 500 pounds for it, uh, or maybe even more, maybe 1,000 pounds, depending on how much <laughs> depending on what part of the wealthy elites I want to try to cut into. Um, and then I I will only have to write the damn thing if people actually order it. It's brilliant. So if I get orders, then yeah, I'll do the work, and it'll be uh, really, really remunerative. Uh, but if no one orders it, then I didn't have to waste time doing any work.
1: But won't they expect it right away if they buy it?
0: yeah, well, if I'm being paid a thousand pounds to write it, I'll fucking drop everything and write it. <laughs> what do you think? Is it good?
1: Yeah, I, do it. I'm curious to see how it goes. Cool. Yeah, that seems to be the model. I was, like, looking at books in Foil's bookstore yesterday, and there's a whole shelf. There's kind of that four-hour workweek guy. Oh, yeah, were, like, yeah, yeah. There are like, four or five other. There's like, this whole genre. There's, like, uh, the guys who do Brew, but brew Dog. <laughs> Who's that? It's like a beer. It's like a British... It's like an American-style craft beer, but done in Britain, and they call themselves Punk, and they did Punk Equity, and so they basically did crowdfunding to get their thing off the ground, and so it's like a book about how to do that. There's another guy who's basically, like, this other book was, I don't remember who it was by, but it was basically, like, here are all the steps, and it was basically exactly what you're saying, like, create a website sell an ebook become a consultant and take all these steps in terms of how to identify your skills and what your niches are and all hmm. that
0: so they have a book about that they have like there's a shelf like all of this there's a oh, whole, yeah. shelf it's a whole industry foils, actually right? yeah. yeah it's
1: a whole industry i mean the, the probably the most famous guy is that four hour work week guy because it's his model too right yeah that guy i know so okay so here's i got a bit cynical because when i look at all these people and actually, I know a guy who actually does this. He, he calls it like self improvement, whatever. And he's got a blog, and he's doing something very similar. You know, got a blog, and he's selling an ebook and goal setting or whatever. And I'm like, it seems to me all of them, their product is like how to get rich doing this, product, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's basically they're all selling an ebook on how to get rich doing an ebook. I don't right. see. I mean, I guess, and I guess, personal trainers kind of do it a bit, or but I don't see many people implementing this. Well, actually, no, that's pers- a good point. Actually, one person who does really good, actually, has done really well on this, is like, um, do you know this blog the professor is in?
0: No.
1: So she was like. um I'm not sure what her story was, but she was basically an academic, and she started blogging and offering advice to academics. Basically, like, grad students, how to get tenure-track jobs, and people oh, I on have tenure-track, seen that person. how to get tenure. Yeah. And now she's basically... She basically became, like, a career coach for academics. Mm. And apparently she got so successful at that that she's not an academic anymore. She's so full-time. I have her... I've seen her, that person. I forgot her, her name. Yeah. and all that. So I guess that's, like... So if you have, like, actual... Advice in a market, I guess. So who pays her? Like, who are her clients? Well, I... People... I, th- I think, like, her specialty is actually trying to coach people on the tenure track. And mm-hmm. she basically does three things. So was, as zero a catalogs, you go look at her website. It's like... Grad students need to get jobs. So what do you have to do for the job market? Uh, people on tenure track have do you do to get tenure. And people who don't get tenure, what do you have to do to transition out of tenure? Out of, like, an academic to something else, right? Hmm. And that, you, you actually think about it. That, that's actually, like, a good... Those, are like, good key career stages. She's kind of a tough love person. She's not like, she's not like much bullshit, right? Yeah. Like, Cause like, you know, she's basically got to do this, this and this. And, uh, you know, but steps in, she she actually, like, one of her servers would be like, holding you accountable. If you're like, I'm going to write an article, like part of her thing, I guess she'll call you every week and say, well, show me your pages. What have you actually written this week? And what time have you cleared off to do this? And oh, like, what are the actual obstacles to you achieving these goals? Right. So, you know, um, and actually I actually imagine that's a, I mean, tenure's kind of, like, it's actual value just in terms of, like, career yeah. income is massive, right? Yeah. It's job for life or unemployment with basically over-educated unemployment when you probably, I don't really know of many cases you would get denied tenure and get back on another tenure track job. It's kind of yeah. up or out.
0: Unless you go from the U.S. to the U.K., which some people do. Uh. Yeah, like, I know I, I can people. think of one person who's done that. Yeah. yeah, I can think of a couple who've done that.
1: Um, but, yeah, I guess so. I guess you can go US to UK. I mean, I, I certainly know some people, but but basically the points that, like, it's, you know, you're either up or out, pretty much. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. like, you know, moving to the UK is not a, an easy move. Yeah, right? no, like no, it's no. You've got to basically have, you basically have to have a family situation that allows you to do that, which a lot of people don't, right? Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about that, that's like a definite need. Yeah, right? that's cool. That's cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for me just personally with my own kind of interests and politics and mm-hmm. kind of personal, like cultural mission, uh-huh. I would never go into, I would never start a business doing something where I sort of sell services to kind of like people in my middle use or, or sort of yeah. beneath me in the, you know, the, the status quo, like social hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Just because I find, like, to me, that's offensive and repulsive. Uh, Personally, I'm just not interested in in doing that. But I would would be open to the idea of uh, business ventures on the side that are specifically about exploiting people wealthier than me. Hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a significant difference between those two.
1: I'd say most of those service things target people who, you mean... I mean, I don't know, like so personal trainers like another good example, right? So it's not web based necessarily, although well, I guess there could be some, right? But that's a that's a person who you know, their annual income's not that high, but
0: yeah.
1: and but their market they've got to target people who have disposable income, right? People yeah. aren't gonna pay thirty pounds an hour if unless they're in a situation where they can afford thirty yeah. pounds an hour kind of thing, right? So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: So what else? In terms of what? Well, what uh, should whatever. I do? What? what, else what, your, what if I were to spend the mind? summer... So now you have to advise me if I were to spend the summer um, designing my own business and since you've already got the niche market of fuck the rich people as your business, I would never want to move into your market because we're <laughs> friends and we're just not going not gonna to do that. But, so given that you've got that market cornered, what other market... I don't feel like writing another book on here's a book on how to get rich... Selling so mm. books on how to get rich.
0: Right. So oh, well, what, that's what a good point it. you made that most of those people who, this like industry of how to be a good entrepreneur and how to get rich, mostly what they're selling, like they don't actually give you tips on how to make a meaningful, effective business. They're basic- Their main reference point is precisely uh, launching yourself as a kind of uh, teacher of making businesses.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of funny. Like there was, like back pre-internet, there, I, I, so I used to really read comics a lot when I was a kid. And I remember like... There'd always be these ads in the back, like classified ads. I remember one was like, uh, send us a book on a hundred, uh, send us a hundred dollars and we'll give you a book on how to make a million dollars, right? And right, I remember right. I told my dad, oh, can I have a hundred dollars? I remember like asking him, right? And my dad was like, no. And I was like, but oh, dad, it's going to tell us to make a million we'd we'll be rich, right? my dad's like, no, it's a scam. The guy's going to send you a book saying, sell a book right,
0: yeah.
1: for a hundred dollars. <laughs> tell are going to be rich. i have to sell 10,000 of these, right? It is a little bit like
0: that, isn't it? Right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not... I, I, I I mean, in a certain sense, I actually agree that a lot of it could could work, right? Like, actually, the internet makes it scalable, and you have to do it in such a way that people don't feel ripped off because you'd be exposed and all that. But there's a way in which, you know, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, What's his What's his business? It's him right. selling the four-hour work week book, right? right? And all so, like, you know. Uh, I don't know what other niche stuff you could do. Well, right? you know what, though?
0: Actually, I mean, because I've, I've looked into I sort of sometimes come across the, mm-hmm. the, these uh, people and their writings and, and sometimes even their podcasts. Like, I've been listening to just a shitload of podcasts because mm-hmm. I've been getting really into them. Yeah. So I've come, Tim Ferriss has a podcast I've come across. It. Yeah. I've, I've listened to a few of them, I think. Um, so I, I sort of dabble in all these different podcast sort of worlds. And that, mm-hmm. that world of sort of the, the self-help guru, basically... Yeah. It is largely around. It tends to sort of revolve around entrepreneurship and that that yeah. kind of uh, type of venture. But what they're really peddling is more like uh, life coaching type yeah. things and, and sort of like life skills. So yeah. it's like the the kinds of thing the, the the vocabulary that they that they use is like uh, like life hacking and mm, biohacking. Yeah. and yeah. and so like that's kind of uh, and to be fair, I mean a lot of it is super fucking corny and just kind of yeah. like politically and culturally. Uh, uh very kind of blind and shallow. but the basics of the kinds of things that they that they pedal are actually quite useful sometimes. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've definitely um, gotten some things from from those types of uh, people and those types of sites. Yeah. like for instance, I actually when I when I tried to get into speed reading, for instance, because I've always yeah. been a slow reader and it's starting to really piss me off because with all this shit I have to do now, I, I've been really upset about how little time I've had to read. so and how much little reading I've accomplished in the past few years. Mm-hmm. So I like recently I've wanted to really get serious about learning how to read faster. And when I start, when I looked up, uh, I went online to look up you know stuff about speed reading, how to do it. The first page that popped up for me was a fucking blog post by that guy Tim Ferriss. Okay. Uh, so by looking into the stuff that he that he's doing, people like that are actually they actually are kind of um, sharing useful kind of really actionable tips and tricks for, like, just how to kick yourself into gear in different ways. Yeah. And that's kind of like what, they're kind of explicit about that. Yeah. Uh, that that's kind of, like, what they're offering. Um, and to be fair, I mean, the, his little blog post that I read was uh, one of the things I followed, just yeah. to, like, help start speed reading, and it, it worked. That's so, the, like, what they're getting really good, what, what, they, what they do, I think, from what I can tell, is they try to, like, figure out all the different kind of cognitive and behavioral kind of efficiencies that people can pursue mm. but the, the average person doesn't yeah and then they just kind of like package these insights as like life-saving magical uh tricks to make yourself powerful and and yeah. use it and then you use these things to start businesses or something but the the how you go from the these little self-help tricks to having a successful business is uh kind of this like big black box or question mark which i i, I don't that's where i think the the kind of ponzi scheme uh comes in because they don't actually have tips or tricks or knowledge on how to identify a useful uh, kind of uh, gap in the market, for instance. Like, that's actually where. I actually do.
1: The book I was looking at yesterday actually does. Oh, so oh did it's, I? It's got like little exercises you can do and stuff. I can't remember what it's called. For but... finding like bit entrepreneurship opportunities? Well, that book was exactly doing the model you're saying. So it's basically set up a web page um, and then ebook online course and perhaps consulting and kind of like offer a suite of stuff and then you also have to blog a fair bit and whatever but it's also like what are your actual existing skills
0: right so, <laughs> well that's the hard part right you have to have something valuable to offer right
1: well i mean we and part of me is like laughing so i'm like well actually we do right like in a certain sense that's what a lecturer is
0: right oh yeah no we we yeah some people do but the the thing is that m- if you if you have valuable skills that you can market, then it's not too much of a puzzle or an issue to to, to go and do that, right? Like yeah. the, the these types of people and their projects make it they make themselves sound like, and they often say they use language like this that that sort of anyone can do it, right? That yeah. it's like uh, this is like a, a a a workflow for any random old person yeah. to make a successful business, but really that's not the case. Like you have to already have valuable assets that you can market and that's the difficult that's like the that's that's yeah. the whole puzzling difficult kind of cultural and political question is how to, if, if you're into like capitalism and you're into markets and shit in the first place which i'm not but if you are the, the real puzzle is sort of how do people um from different walks of life and especially from lower uh socioeconomic status and that kind of shit how do how do you make a, a successful business that way You've, tim Terrace has no fucking tips for that i don't think uh
1: yeah oh you know Part of me is like, I am not sure how like new that is, right? If he, you get into something, like I should. So like, all right, so I've been like doing this kettlebell training with this guy for like eighteen months, right? Oh, and cool. like, you know, it's been good. And he's like, obviously got these certs and stuff. But he, I, I, we kind of like, I reached a point where I'm like, okay, now I know how to do everything, so it's like I don't need to like hire him for lessons anymore. But I was kind of like, well, what's next? And he's like, well, you could start training for a certification, right? Mm-hmm. So if I really wanted to. I could now go. I have to like train because one of the things that's interesting is about this, like a lot of like the strength and athletic certifications, it's like they now put in place um, like minimum strength and standards. So part of certification, you learn the technique and how to coach, but part of it's also you've got to be at a certain level. So for the kettlebell thing, you've got to be able to do like a thirty-two kilogram kettlebell set of skills, which is mm. so it's a, good, it's a it's a no. Your strength's got to reach a pretty serious standard. So he's like, "Oh, you could just follow this training program for like another year, and then go take this course, pay a thousand pounds, and then you're a certified kettlebell instructor." Are you and interested then you in get... that? No. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I mean, I'm interested in like personally getting stronger or getting better at that skill and stuff. But like, then you got a certification, then you could set up a website, then I could go around and like you know, yeah, coach people, yeah, right? Yeah. Or he could refer extra clients to me or something, right? Like it's kind of, and like a lot of stuff has a model like that, right. right? So, um, yeah, I don't think it's just that. Like, you could, like, it's certainly possible doing it. and It's like, you don't need, you just need to get into something a lot is kind of what, what I'm saying.
0: Right. right. That's interesting.
1: That's not really all that new from like, you know, piano lessons or any kind of musical instrument. Right. So I think like a lot of people turn their, can turn their hobbies into whatever. Right. I mean, the, the, the simple fact for me is like, I just basically reached the, the associate professor level. The salary there is nice and the work security is very good. And so part of me is like, why? And he asked, would you want to yeah. do it? I'm like, yeah, sure. But then what? I want to book another 10 to 20 hours a week charging people. Th- yeah, sure. So I, let's say I did that 30 pounds per hour, 10 hours a week. It's actually another 300 pounds. It's nice money. Another 1,200 pounds a month. But then think of all the extra work that would have to go into that, yeah. right? And you yeah. started thinking about all that. Plus you have to deal with people all the time. And I'm like you know, I basically have an inbox that's piled up with student complaints over the weekend, and so I'm like, would I want another stream of whininess, right? You're right, it would have
0: to really be worth it. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I'm not against people doing it. If you want to do it, and say like, go for it. But, to me, I'm like, actually, that kind of gig economy is like the exact opposite of the academic economy, and what's appealing to me about the academic economy, while it still lasts, it's probably going to be destroyed, like, next week. But while it still exists, it's like, great job security, great, great income, right? Compared to like, for you basically in the middle class if you have a, you know, lecturership position and basically pretty solid guaranteed thing and a massive amount of autonomy, right? Apart from lecturing and the few meetings we have to go to in a week, like we can completely set our own hours and as long as we get the work, it's not like you, you still have to do a lot of work, but mm. as long as you get the work done, and you can really self-direct your work, right? And so for me, I already have all of that. And so when Tim Ferriss comes and sells the four-hour work week, I'm like, I've already got what you're selling and I've actually got it
0: better. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of my, yeah, yeah. my attitude. No, it's a good point. Um, although there is some stuff in, in his kind of, uh, his suggested sort of approach that, that could kind of perhaps be useful that I've kind of looked into. I mean, I haven't like studied no. what he says yeah, very closely. No, no, I don't, but I've, I've seen this stuff online. Yeah. And like I said, I've just been kind of perusing these like cultures a fair bit lately, yeah. just for whatever reason. Um, and so for instance, this idea of, of getting a virtual assistant, I've been talking about this forever. Yeah. I and mean, now I've been joking about this for a while. Um, but I still don't see why academics, why we don't get, um, virtual assistants, uh, to do sort of all kinds of petty tasks. Um, i kind of want to get one to be honest so they often they're from what i've read that they're good for like uh having having people do sort of the mundane everyday tasks like things like booking uh booking flights booking train tickets but yeah. also you can have them write emails and stuff like that um yeah so i'm kind of thinking about that i feel like that would be i feel like there's a sort of normative uh expectation in academia that sort of you do everything uh Personally, right, Uh, but but I don't see why why we have to do that. I I think we could outsource a lot of our tasks to virtual assistants save a lot of time and it's not that expensive
1: well some of it is alright so like, like, okay like that link you gave me for like auto booking appointments yeah that's been pretty good yeah right? I get credit for that yeah nice. no, it's, a good <laughs> it's a good find I think what's funny is like I've noticed the economists have also been doing it too so I wonder if they, they stole our idea or did you oh steal interesting I don't know you even noticed like I know because like I did a lot you did it for a while I did it last semester and this semester all the economist profs they put it up and what's funny is they've also taken away their posted office hours yeah, yeah, they're just
0: like if you want to book me, book this yeah. yeah
1: yeah. so that's pretty funny but um so that's that's kind of good
0: now I'm going to be like if you want an appointment with me please contact my virtual assistant at this address Um eh, but people would rebel against that that would be seen as kind of okay, so what's funny
1: about that is everywhere else I've been even when I was a postdoc at UBC that stuff was done for me it's only Southampton where you have to do it on your own Right? So it's kind of like we're in a university that doesn't offer that kind of support. So it's, I think it's kind of British university minimal support yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's like, uh, again, the better the, the like For me, like... Uh, God. like Minnesota when I was a grad student it'd be like just tell us what books you're assigning for the class and we'll order you personally desk copies and if you need readings photocopied leave it here and the office staff will copy it for you and if you need a flight that'll get booked for you like all that stuff's done for you yeah right hmm. so okay. I mean so yeah no I think getting a personal sense is fine it, it's just kind of if, to me it's kind of an interesting observation like I noticed when I got a smartphone. I, it kind of just dawned on me after about like two months that, huh, actually the university is not paying for this. And actually, I bet you 60% of my data is tied up on university functions, mm. right? Just answering email or checking email or staying in touch, right? And and then someone like Alice, who's a university administrator, she actually gets a separate university phone, mm. right? So, um, yeah, part of me is like, yeah, it's a good idea to do that. But part of me is also like, actually you would be paying out of your own pocket to do something that the university should be doing. Yeah. It's kind of a labor issue, right? right? So you know. I guess your personal stuff, if you wanted to do that, it's fine. But part of me is also I mean maybe and the university probably won't ever do that. But if props adopted that strategy, they'd then just be giving the university you you basically be paying the university to do your job for you. Like another yeah. cost is added on. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So Yeah. Um, that's true. Yeah. Could we go back to um, kettlebells? <laughs> since yeah, you, since sure. You mentioned yeah, it. yeah. No, the reason I the reason I want to talk about this because uh, yeah. So I've never um I've never done any kind of weight training and I've never really been interested in it. Like I've yeah. never I've just never cared about having muscles or like being muscular. Or, yeah. or How my body looks or anything like that. Um. But now as I'm kind of just like getting a little bit older, I kind of am getting into. Well, in part it's just because you know we spend so much time kind of sitting down and yeah. shit like that. That. Um, I find myself just wanting, trying to do a lot of things that just involve kind of moving and just Uh kind of staying fit. So I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit more interested in different kinds of fitness just to kind of, yeah, maintain health. Uh, and so I've kind of been getting curious about kettlebells and Mm -hmm. I want to ask your opinion about it because, um, basically here's my reasoning for why I might want to do kettlebells. Because I, like I said, I don't really give a shit about weight training. I don't want to go to gyms. I don't want to like lift weights. I don't care about, I don't really care about being muscular and shit like that. Yeah. Um, but what I do find myself doing is like little things kind of like around the house, just between or in, in the office or whatever, like between work things. Yeah. Um, so if I have this like chin up bar, you know, I'll, like yeah. do a few pull ups and so I'll often just kind of stretch like out of nowhere.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm into the idea of just having something around the house yeah. that I can just like pick up like. I have a heavy thing I can pick up and do a few things with it, uh, throughout the day here and there randomly. Would that be a good thing to do with, is a kettlebell a good, uh, solution for that? Could I just get like one kettlebell and would that be good? Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah, no, it's designed for that.
0: Oh, really? There's not like a big, uh, science to it. I don't have to get, I don't have to get like a kit of like 10 of them.
1: I have three, but it's more like the strong, so a a couple of things, right? And this is like a lot of stuff I learned from working with this guy for a year. You can interview him. He would love to be on your podcast.
0: (laughs) I don't know <laughs> if I want to go into the whole, like, nutrition-fitness <laughs> world, but right. to be honest, I am kind of getting in, just kind of sincerely yeah. curious and interested in sort of nutrition science yeah. and, and fitness science and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe. If, okay. he's, if he's cool, I'll talk with him.
1: Yeah, you can have a chat. Cool. Um All right. So I guess, okay, so three things. Yeah, I, I'm like you. Like, I actually, so I was taught, I don't know if you ever, were you ever like, taught how to work out at a gym. Or no. Not really. So, like, I was kind of just taught by, like, Fit guys, like guys who are buff, they'd drag me along to the gym and I'd work out with them and I kind of follow a plan for a while and whatever. Sometimes I get pretty fit and just life gets in the way, I get fat again. But um, so the model that I was taught is actually the bodybuilding model initially, right? And so it's kind of, there's actually an interesting history of this. So, like, most gym culture in North America and Europe that takes off in the 80s and 90s is really. Built around the bodybuilding movement, right, and so it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually one of the big drivers of this, right, and so the goal in bodybuilding is just to like be very attractive and develop a very muscular physique, right, and so it places a strong emphasis on what's called hypertrophy, just building your muscles, and so obviously bigger muscles you're going to be stronger than if you didn't have bigger muscles, but it's actually not necessarily the best way to train if you have other goals. Right. And so I didn't know this when I started with the kettlebell thing. I just kind of, I've been basically got moved to England, got like another fit kick kind of followed what it is. I knew a guy who was like training with the U S Olympic curling team and kind of got his program, kind of like simplified version of that. And that was actually pretty good for um, losing weight, but it placed a lot of emphasis on something different entirely. It was like muscular endurance. So basically doing like 20 reps of stuff, like really high reps, low weight, and doing circuits, so you move from exercise, 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 and do like a full body workout in forty-five minutes, and get really tired. And I wanted to learn how to do two movements. And my big problem is that basically any commercial gym, they just put you back on this eight to twelve rep full body. Do bicep curls, triceps, like work each muscle group, and it's like a clear progression. I had that in the past, and I'd also found that gym personal trainers were basically shit. Hmm. for a whole bunch of reasons. So I didn't like hmm. them. Uh, but I, I, there were kettlebells in gyms, and I kind of muck around with them, like not knowing what I'm doing. And then the other movement I got into was... I saw a lot of people doing deadlifts over here. It seems like it, there's more of a deadlifting culture in the UK than the US. I wanted to do that.
0: For our listeners, could you say, what, what is a deadlift? <laughs> a dead so, de- so a
1: deadlift is basically... There's a large barbell, and you bend over, and you pick it up. And it's basically what it is. So it's like the
0: simplest lift possible.
1: It's the simplest lift possible. In theory, it's also the lift that you can lift the most weight with. So, you just, so it's basically, in certain sense, it's just kind of, there's, it's called the deadlift because you're basically picking up a weight from a dead stop up with your hands up to waist height and then dropping it. No, it's called the deadlift because that's how they used to pick up dead bodies. Is that why it's called the deadlift? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, people were doing that and I want to do that but... Well, actually, what I did is I tried it on my own and jacked up my right back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? I was like, Yeah, no, you can, if you don't know what you're doing, you can jack up your right back. So I tried it and like pull the back muscles. I was like, that's not a good idea. That's, where,
0: that's why they say lift with the knees, not with the back, right? Uh, is that
1: what it was? N- I guess in a certain sense, yeah, there's a lot more to it. It's actually <laughs> like a pretty tricky lift. So basically, I found this guy online. I was like, Okay, I want to try this. And this guy's like, I did kettlebells and he had like a little kettlebell class. And I went and learned. And then I kind of said, Here's, I want to learn how to do these things. And so he basically taught me. And so a couple things I learned from, so one is that training for strength's very different than training for aesthetics. Hmm. Right. And it's actually a completely different set of things. So actually you do very few lifts, but you lift very heavily. Right. Whereas what I was doing initially was like, well, initially if you do like a bodybuilding program, you do like a different part of your body every day you do eight to ten reps, three three to five sets, and you try to work to failure. You basically try to get to the point where you where you can't lift anymore, and then that'll tear your muscles, and they'll get bigger the next time, right? Mm-hmm. So you stress yourself and build it, right? Whereas strength training is done in like Olympic lifting and strongman lifting and lifting. like these basically the sport is how much can you lift, right? And there they never lift to failure except in the event itself. And so for them, it's kind of like people who train for marathons. People who do like a a power lift, they'll spend like 12 weeks out and they'll be, okay, I'm just going to lift this.
0: And so it's kind of, it's a very different system. Right. Yeah. So what, which one are you aiming for? I'm not doing any competitive thing. But I mean, what, what, uh, is your goal for, uh, your training?
1: Right. Well, now I'm just like mucking around. I don't really know what
0: my goal is. So just basic kind of health.
1: Uh... Not really. I, I don't know. Like, I just kind of... Basically, I wanted to learn how to do a skill. Oh, okay. Right? And I don't... Do you ever, like, just want to learn how to do yeah, something? Sure, sure, Right? And yeah. so... I mean, this is getting back to, like, the, the business thing. Here's a guy who actually... <laughs> it's like a non-sleazy thing. He actually has a skill that I want. Right. Right? I mean, there's a bit of desire to lose a bit of weight. But also just... I just actually just wanted to learn how to do kettlebells and deadlift. I just wanted to do cool. something different
0: at the gym than what I've been taught. Cool. Basically, I got bored. I feel like my interest in it is is just. Um... I guess two things, like just basic kind of um, body maintenance. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I read things about how like when you know, once you turn forty and you kind of from then on, mm-hmm. it gets harder to sort of build muscle mass and that kind of stuff. And so I'm not interested in like having big muscles or looking good or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know that age with aging, you need, yeah. like you need to have muscles and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like I should probably starting now uh kind of take muscle like just building basic muscle for basic kind of health uh, purposes a little bit more seriously than i ever have Mm -hmm. so that's one thing and that but that that's not even the main thing i'm interested in the the main thing i'm interested in i think is just feeling really good right like and i think that obviously to and just kind of feeling like powerful and energetic and being able to do mad shit in a day and and keep a good mood and this kind of stuff all the time uh just to generally feel energized and powerful to for that you obviously need like a certain regimen of physical fitness and yeah. i've been getting pretty good with running that kind of stuff and kind of basic uh everyday fitness but i don't do anything that has to do with kind of muscle building or or weights hmm. so i was thinking i might just throw a kettlebell a kettlebell into the mix uh wait is it kettlebell or ball kettlebell kettlebell right okay. yeah. i had that right um so okay so on a more practical note then for someone like me with my interests and goals which i i, I suspect there are a lot of people like me who like don't really want to get muscular. Don't really give a shit about that, um, and don't want to go to a gym. Don't want to be do serious weight training. Yeah. But would like to have like a little a little thing around the house to kind of do to just kind of keep their their muscle yeah. uh, mass going or whatever, um, and for general feeling good uh, throughout the day and week or whatever. Mm-hmm. What What would you recommend? Like, what is like a quick step by step thing I could do? Like, if I were to buy one kettlebell, mm-hmm. like what weight should I get, and then what should I do on what kind of schedule?
1: Uh you should hire someone who knows how to do kettlebell instruction. Really? Is it, that, it is that serious? It's it well, it's it's a tricky movement. So the so okay. Most so one thing that's funny is I kinda of was fucking around with the kettlebells gym watching what other people were doing and basically everyone at the gym has no idea how to do kettlebells. Oh, really like no idea. they just they basically see it and they think it's like a normal weight and they'll do like a bicep curl or a mm. shoulder press or something. And like the point of a kettlebell is something very different. And so there are there's six core movements. And actually if you go online and look up kettlebell workouts, most people are doing bullshit. There's basically six core movements. It's called the actual style is called Russian hard style kettlebell training. Mm-hmm. And it's kinda of like I guess the Russians have been doing it for like a century. And it was before before like modern gyms took over with like dumbbells and barbells, like the kettlebell was it was basically like old cannonballs, reshaping and used for lifting weights for soldiers in the Russian army. Mm. So it was kind of like an earlier style of strength training. Um, the two basic ones are what's called the kettlebell swing. Have you ever seen this? No. So you basically take the ball, the kettlebell. You grab the. It's got basically a kettlebell is like a large, heavy right. ball of metal, and it's got like a handle, handle on attached to it, right? So you basically grab it by your handle throw it back between your legs, and then whoop it up to chest height. Okay. And if you're, it takes a lot of time to get the motion right because you're basically doing a very explosive motion. And the force you have to generate to get the chest height also means that that thing's flying at a really fast velocity both directions. So if you don't have control over it, a mm-hmm. lot of bad things can happen.
0: Okay, I guess it's not quite as simple as I thought. I kind of no. imagine I could just get one, like put it in the corner over here, and every now and then, when I walk by, it just kind of lifted a few times. <laughs> no, weird. no,
1: it took me like, took me working with this guy. It took me a good, and he would he wouldn't even let me do swings for like the first six mm. weeks. We'd meet like once a week, and he'd like, yeah, you're not ready to do swings. Oh, okay, there's a set of like preparatory movements you have to learn, and so one of them is the swing. The other one's this thing called a Turkish get up, where you lie on your back, put the kettlebell directly over you, and you work your way up to holding the kettlebell overhead, standing. And it's a series of movements you walk through. Mm. But at all times, you're holding the bell over your head. Wow. Right? And so, again, you've got, like, a, mm. the lightest you can possibly use is the 8 kilograms. So, that's, like, 20 pounds. And, like, the one I work with now is, like, a 20 or 24 kilograms. So, nice. it's, like, it's, it's kind of cool and it's really intense.
0: It sounds like you also need a lot of space, I guess.
1: You actually don't need a lot of space. So I actually do it at home. I was actually talking to another guy about this yesterday. He's like, what if you drop the kettlebell? And I was like, you know, I haven't dropped a kettlebell since I first started doing it. But you actually need a space. That's why he just does it in this large gym. To, uh, you know. So, I mean, if you wanted to get into it, I'd, I'd say go talk
0: to that guy. Cool. sounds he, too complicated now. <laughs> uh,
1: Maybe it I, depends what you want, right? It's like, basically, you probably, like, he's got, like, he's also a bit particular because this his business, so he basically would say, well, you have to sign up for a three-month package with me, and he'd meet you three times a week,
0: and... Oh, that's pretty intense.
1: He's pretty good. He's, he's also, like, one of his things he said is, yeah he also do nutrition coaching. Like, I'm not so into that. And he's like, no, I don't do... Like, his line to me was, I'm not going to do... He's like, nutrition's half of it, and basically, if you're eating, like, crap and then training with me and not getting results, it's because you're, it's like he said, it's 9% because of, of your nutrition shit, mm. and so I don't want you training with me, mm. not eating properly, and then whatever. So it's kind of like he'll give you nutrition coaching too. Hmm. So, you know, I could give you that guy. It's turned to an ad for this guy. But, That's cool. no, but it's, no. It's, it's interesting. So so those are the two core movements. There's other ones on top of that that are more advanced. There's, the only one I haven't done mastered yet is the snatch. So it's still like, I've been doing it for like 18 months now, I still haven't like... Mm done all the movements interesting no it's super um, interesting i mean i think
0: i think i just want something simpler (laughs) i mean the 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 sort of health mm -hmm. uh, regimen that i'm sort of working out for myself which i am actually kind of getting into kind of taking it seriously just like sleep Mm -hmm. what i eat when i sleep uh the exercise i do
1: yeah
0: um i'm basically just trying to find uh the patterns of all of these things that are maximally Uh, effective for kind of my energy and mood and feeling great and being able to do mad shit throughout the Mm day and feeling good throughout it all uh but in that requires the least amount of time and attention and and complexity basically so maybe i would want it maybe maybe could i just get like uh just like one or two barbells and just kind of like put leave them on the table and like barbells or dumbbells uh what are like the hand ones called dumbbells dumbbells could i just get like a couple of handbells uh, and just uh, pick them up every now and then. <laughs> all right. So here's what, here's what
1: I've learned. Because uh, I used to do that and that's how I used to think is that if you want the, the most bang for the buck, you actually have to do the more advanced stuff and that actually takes skill. Shit. If you want... like, And so what's funny is the reason most gym stuff doesn't work most commercial gym stuff doesn't work is because it's all very simple. And, then pe- and part of the reason it's very simple is that basically any idiot can walk into a gym and do it and obviously gyms don't want people getting hurt and so they make it very simple and relatively safe for them to mm. do right but the problem is like if you're just doing like bicep curls you're only working your bicep
0: basically mm.
1: and so you're you're only working and that's a pretty small muscle
0: but you can do different things with them right like I can hold a barbell yeah. or a dumbbell what it's called a dumbbell. Dumbbell is the hand one. Yeah. I can yeah. hold a dumbbell in uh, all different kinds of ways. Yeah. I, could, I could hold it with my foot. I could lift my yeah. leg up with it on my foot. This kind of, like, I'm yeah. sure. I mean, I don't know anything about this. I just imagine. Yeah. What, I imagine with one or two uh, kind of heavy objects, uh-huh. you could do a, a, a routine of movements with it that would just be doing basic kind of uh, muscular upkeep.
1: Yeah, yeah, you could do is it that totally. True? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, so here's the funny thing. My, if, but if you want a program that's really simple, like the program I do right now is very simple. I only do, I never work out for more than 30 minutes in a day. I only do weights three days a week. And I only, right now, I'm doing four motions. So I'm working, trying to get a one-arm push-up. I do the deadlift. I do the swing. I do the get-up. Hmm. Right? Cool. And so they're all very simple, but they're all very... So... So there's what's called a, like a, a focused or concentrated exercise versus a compound exercise, right? And so a bicep curls focus. All it does is works your bicep. It isolates one muscle group. And so that's very popular in bodybuilding because you want to build up all your muscles and become as big as possible. And also if you're trying to go out for a show, you, you may say, oh, my forearms aren't so big. So here's a very specific exercise for right. building up my forearms, Right. All the ones I just listed, they're compounds. They do, like, they use multiple muscles simultaneously. Mm. But in order to get bang for the buck, you've got to lift very heavy, Mm. right? So you could do, like, bicep curls 10 pounds and just keep doing it at 20 and whatever and do as many reps as you want and get pretty toned there, right? That's all you're doing, whereas with a deadlift, you're basically working your entire body. If you do, like, a, a heavy deadlift where you're lifting your max, it's, like, the, it's actually the most intense. Oh, is that
0: right? You're working all, like, many muscles?
1: You're basically, you okay, so the concentration is what's called the posterior chain, which basically means you're working all your muscles from your ankles to your shoulders simultaneously, mm-hmm. but you actually are using everything. Like you basically, your abs have to engage every, basically every muscle in your, if you're lifting at max or close to max, like, every muscle in your body has to engage.
0: And it's basically just in that, in that squat movement. Like from, from yeah. going down yeah. in a squat, so and like up with yeah. Weights.
1: So on Fridays I go and do deadlifts at this gym, and I just go in, I warm up, and I'll do eight to ten single lifts, mm. and that's the workout, mm. and I'm trash at the end of it, mm. right? And it's like so I I'll, I mean there's a there's a warm up process, so I do a couple of rounds of warm up at lighter weights, but when I when I hit whatever my max weight is for the day it's normally eight to ten, and it's not reps. It's like all lift. So, like on Friday, I was, I was doing 110 kilograms, like lifting 110. I did that 10 times on a program called for. And I just like lift, do one lift, go and approach it, do the technique perfectly, one lift, drop it, wait two minutes, come back, do it again. Mm. 10 times.
0: Cool. That was so. it. <laughs> right? So, basically, and it took me 20 minutes. Well, this is interesting. I'm yeah. glad we talked about it because I was literally thinking I would just get a kettlebell. Yeah. Like a medium weight kettlebell and just no. like put it in the corner and pick it up every so often.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you can do different stuff, but I mean, it, but it's like once you get the technique down, right, then you do it. And the other thing that's kind of weird is it's a simple movement, but the more you get into it, the more you get into the scale of it. And the more yeah. I find myself reading online and like yeah. obsessing over head position and stuff. Right. Cool. And so, yeah, it's kind of cool, but it depends if you're into it or not. Right. So, yeah, you know. But, in ge- I mean, I'd say the general rule of thumb is if you want something, in regard, not just like in sport or fitness or anything, but if you want to be efficient at something, that normally means you have to sink a lot of costs at the front end, regardless of what that skill is.
0: Mm.
1: Right? That makes sense. Like, if you want to, like, I'm, you know, I'm sure the same way too, right? Like, you're an efficient writer if someone asks you to write something, right? If someone asks me to write something, I could write a thousand words of pretty decent prose in an hour, and I think most people... Could not do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? On like Because uh, I invest a code. lot of time, right? Yeah. So someone email you know, if someone emails me something, or I could just go I can go into a classroom and lecture on Hobbes' theory of sovereignty, right, with basically no
0: prep. Right. Because you've invested so much into it. Yeah, because
1: I invested 20 years in like knowing that topic, right? So it's the same thing. If you want like a really efficient exercise, then you have to invest time at the front end for the skill but then once you know the skill like to me i'm like okay like you're asking what competition like yeah there's actually a whole world of powerlifting. if i and actually as a 40 plus powerlifter in england i'm sure i'd go to power team meet this maybe i don't know what it's probably 30 40 guys in southampton so it's like a small it's, it's unlike let's say i sign up for a 5k where there'd be like a thousand people running it there's probably a handful of people who do it I'd probably be at the low end of it, but I could still do it and be sure. kind of part of the powerlifting <laughs> clique and go to whatever meets. And there's a whole subculture around that, Nice, right? bro. Huh? Nice, bro. Nice,
0: bro? No, I'm just joking. Oh, you're
1: not I mean, I'm sure you could, right? But like, there's a, there's a whole, if you want to take that competitive or any other thing competitive, right? But I actually, for me, I'm like, I've, I've got the skill now where I can just work on what I want to work on. And part of what I like about it is just I don't think nobody cares what I lift. And it's just me. Yeah. Private goal. Yeah. Yeah. Don't care. Not public.
0: Cool. I like it. Yeah. I, su- I support it. <laughs> you support what? You. Yeah. And your, So that's my your advice. Exercise routines. Um, I support you whether you want to compete or not. Yeah. That, that would be cool if you joined the deadlift community. Yeah, my yeah. buddy Jonathan. Yeah, he's a pretty big deadlifter around here. Or you could do, the,
1: the place I joined is also like CrossFit, so you could do CrossFit.
0: Oh, yeah, that's like the big fad, right? Everyone it's a big fad right, right now, you? yeah. People seem to like it. No, I don't want to be a part of any kind of culture really, relate, relate, like related to physical fitness. person. I mean, I don't have anything against it by yeah. by any stretch. But um, no, like I said, I want to find out. I want to find the routines that are quickest and easiest uh, to achieve maximal uh, kind of mood optimization and energy optimization. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just kind of tinkering with different types of yeah. uh, practices right now. My thing right now, I'm I've been running for. Uh, the past year really probably yeah. um so i've been sticking with that pretty well uh, yeah. i've been running consistently but i've been doing it in totally different ways basically like trying different uh routines and i've been yeah. kind of reading up a bit on yeah. on the pros and cons of sort of endurance running versus you know high intensity stuff yeah. and i've kind of just i've just kind of just been experimenting basically with different styles yeah. um and right now i'm i've, I've kind of uh been leaning more towards the kind of high intensity approach Mm -hmm. because for a while I was doing kind, I was trying to kind of do longer runs. I, so I was, I was basically building up, like I was training for something even though I wasn't training for anything on sort of just this idea, this premise of, yeah, seeing how far I could run and and being Mm -hmm. able to run long distances consistently. Um, But I decided, but I actually ended up not liking that and it, it didn't work for me. One, because it takes too much time and that sucks. Uh, But two, because I found that it had you feel good after mm-hmm. you get back from like a long run. But I found that the next day, sometimes it had unpredictable effects in making me really stressed out. Yeah. Um, like the next day. Yeah. And I, I read about that and I learned, I, I learned why that is. And that's because running is actually stressful as shit. Like I mean, yeah. it's, it's literally technically stress. Like you're stressing your body like crazy. Yeah. Um, and so there's like, I'm sure you're familiar with it because you know mm-hmm. more about stuff than I do, but there is this sort of uh, literature, if you will, on how endurance running is actually not good for you. Uh, because you're basically just stressing your body and you can actually subject it. So, so what happens actually is you actually fill your bloodstream and stuff like that with, with like adrenaline and cortisol Mm -hmm. and this kind of stuff. Um, and then that can sit in your body and the next day you can be like really on edge because you've accumulated all this stress from like your long run. Right. So people now are saying, or at least from what I'm reading, uh, there's a certain move to do short, intense running. This is the whole like high, high intensity interval sort of trend. Uh, but to me, that makes intuitively that makes more sense, and that and also I'm just kind of practically attracted to it because it's like shorter, quicker, and easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now what I've been doing, I don't do long runs anymore. Now what I will just do is um, for basically like just two or three times a week for like 20 minutes, I will just <laughs> sprint up this big hill uh, right. as long as I, for as long as I can, as fast as I can. Yeah. Um, and once I can't breathe or move anymore, then I'll just stop and I'll just walk until I can breathe again, oh, yeah. and then I'll just go back to the bottom of the hill, and then run up again. I'll just do that for 20 minutes, basically. I'll do that two or three times a week uh, for, like, 20 minutes. So it's quick and easy, and I feel fucking, like, crazy good after it yeah. because I'm, like, pumped up. And I just find that it doesn't uh, doesn't have, like, unpredictably negative effects on me, like, later in the day or, like, the next day yeah. and that kind of shit. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, it was a lot to it.
0: Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so
1: like, like so for not just running but just general cardio principles, like high intensity training is kind of where, where it's at now. Do you agree
0: that's the better approach?
1: Well, I mean, it so it depends on a couple of things, right? Like, a what what are your goals, right? That's always the big question. Um, and then, like, if you were trying to run the half marathon, that wouldn't get you to the half marathon, right? Because you've also got to build up an aerobic base. I think if you follow, if you just join like the, like, the Hampshire Running Club or one of the local running clubs, right, like, most running programs will vary from day to day, right? Uh, so, you'll normally have, like, one long endurance run a week. Like, like So, like, it depends on what you're trying to do. Like, like serious, serious runners, people are trying to run marathons and stuff. Like, they'll often... Like, I'm sure like someone like Angie should probably run six days a week, right? Maybe even seven. I know some people are really crazy and they'll do, like, two runs a day, right? But, and just, like, you know, mar- people who are, like, serious marathon runners, they, they'll bank, like, 50, 60 miles a week and stuff like that. It's a bit crazy. Um, but if you want to be running really good times and try and qualify for the Boston Marathon... You probably have to do that. No,
0: fuck that.
1: Yeah, no. So it's like it depends what you want, right? I think that, but most, most people doing that running, they also have different workouts. So they do what's called a tempo run, which they run at a shorter distance. So let's say they're, they're targeting a marathon. They may run five miles at what their marathon pace is to get their body used to running at pace. They'll normally do one endurance run that's kind of like building out how long they can run. And then they'll also do some kind of strength interval thing. So one of the things you're doing there, it's called a hill repeat, where you'll go out and you'll run up and down a hill 10 times, 12 times, whatever. Oh, that's whatever. a thing. That's cool. Does hill repeat... I thought I invented it. No. Is it good? Um, well, hill repeats actually aren't necessarily all-out sprints. They're just to build strength. So it's kind of the idea is that there's increased resistance running up a hill. So mm-hmm. doing that builds up your strength. There's also something called interval training, which is like, basically you go to a track and you'd run around slowly twice and sprint all out once around the track or half, do 200 meters, Mm -hmm. then rest for 200 meters and just kind of do repeats that way. There's also this thing which I kind of like, it's called fartlek running, it was made by the Swedes, I think, and it was just called speed play. So actually what you're doing sounds a lot like speed play, but it's like you just go for your normal run.
0: But you take some speed first. No, i would be good. No,
1: you just kind of go and, like, you'll basically say, okay, I'm going to run to that tree 200 meters off and, like, run as run faster to that tree and then slow down again. And it's more like it's not done as a regiment. It's a lot more fun in it, right? Okay. It kind of depends, like, like, again, it's all, like, what your goals are, right? And so sometimes I think one of the things that's weird is that as exercise science has really colonized fitness and sport, right? Um, some of the fun or play elements been taken out of it, mm. right? and so like I actually did like so I did a half marathon, maybe. Oh, what would it be now twenty ten? So like six years ago, right? And did like a full program, stuck with it, It it's fun. Ran right? a half marathon, I was pretty happy with that. Uh, but also, it was like so. Um, programmed right you got a program and it's like run this distance yeah aim for this time get a heart rate monitor and you can get really like the techie part of it and uh that's fun but it's like you know i just wanted to finish a half marathon and do that i'm not trying to win an olympic medal in half marathon right and then like uh like now I just run and I'll run so basically three days a week I'll do like strength stuff and three days a week I'll just run. I just have a little re-read the comment and I don't even carry a watch anymore. Hmm. And then when I feel like on a Saturday morning I'll hop and do um a park run. You know the hmm. park run Saturday yeah, morning? Yeah. And that's like five K and that's fun and you just show them your tag and I'm registered so I got like a time and whatever. But it's more just like for fun, right? Okay, yeah. Not not regimented. And then like yeah. running just Running without a sense of time or goal or pace, I think, is also just fine. You just kind of, then it's like, for me, then it becomes relaxing. And if some morning I don't feel strong, I'll just take a really easy jog, right? And if someday I'm feeling strong and I want to chug it and just burn it and I'm going to run as hard as I can, I'll run as hard as I can. And then if I start feeling wind, I'm like, okay, I can slow down now, right? I actually, yeah. I literally right now have no idea. Apart from the park run, I really have no idea what pace I'm running. The park run's weird because it's so crowded you can't really like normally for me, I'll be in the park and I'll start kind of mid middle of the pack and you really can't get going until about a third of the way through. Cause it takes about a mile to clear for like the people to separate out to like their pace. Mm-hmm. It's, Cause it's so crowded. It's like you, you're kind of fighting around people going slow for the first bit. And then, which actually I find for me is kind of a good way to control my pace. So I don't burn myself out. Right. Mm-hmm. Just doing it for fun. Right. And then yeah. saying, Oh, did I beat my time or not or whatever? So nice.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a general rule that you have to always give yourself the liberty to fuck around with things and do things yeah. in different ways at different times because that makes it fun, right? Whenever you over-regiment to anything, it just yeah. becomes an impressive chore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with that. Not to mention, you know, the historical kind of significance of games and, and playing. Yeah. That that have That's typically fulfilled a lot of sort of the human fitness... Uh, needs in some sense in in the historical timeline and as our sort of increasingly regimented kind of like modern differentiated differentiated society sort of crowds out time for that sort of thing um it's all the more important that we find that we make like fun ways of doing things that are physical um yeah because i mean especially if you look at things like you know like like the obesity epidemic and that kind Mm. of stuff like mass health like just the various kinds of mass health problems associated with just kind of uh uh typical conventional kind of uh lifestyle routines Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of that is due to the fact that sort of the the natural ways of of just having fun in life are less and less physical right and less and less it has less and less to do with sort of sports playing in the community and playing games with kids and running around in fields and this kind of stuff like I feel like that kind of stuff uh, has been increasingly crowded out, right? Uh, do you think that that's, yeah. a, that that's just a hypothesis? Do you think that's a reasonable hypothesis that has to do with um, sort of the different kinds of declining health standards or health problems that people are having?
1: I don't know. I'm not am su- not even sure if the obesity academic- epidemic is that big of an epidemic. Oh, is that right? Like... I, I, here, I'm way out of my field, right? Me either, but, like, I know, yeah. when I, like, you talk to sociologists who study fat and fitness mm-hmm. and all that. Like, so I just remember there's a BBC article, like a Danish study I read last week, where it was like, oh, uh, whereas 30 years ago, being overweight, so a BMI over 30, did shorten your life expectancy compared to someone who was under, now apparently it's, you're actually better off to be not, like, morbidly obese, Mm. but
0: obese. Is that right? Which is kind of weird, right? I thought it was well-documented to take off something like seven years of lifespan.
1: Uh, Maybe. I mean, I don't know. A lot of it's kind of weird. Like, I've got a My cousin's, like, a GP, and, like... Actually, what's funny, I've got a cousin's GP, and I've got a friend who's a doctor, and, like, their reaction to, like, public health risks is, like, they just kind of laugh. Mm. Like, one of my friends, she's just, like... Oh, you could like she'll just be like, oh, I'll be like, oh, can't take this drug and this drug. It's contradictory. Like, oh, that's this. Let's do that and take a bottle of vodka. Right? she be yeah. like, yeah. she's like, the risks are so like the the government's so interested in regulating for any risk whatsoever that actually like, the margin of risk is so high that as long as I'm just yeah. completely stupid like downing an entire bottle of of paracetamol, no, that's all, a good point You don't say only take two paracetamol and like the baby will freak out when you take a third, right? And like.
0: I don't know. It's like, true. Most medical effects are really, really small. Yeah. Right. Um, in so g- In general. I mean, yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, so it's just like, it's like, so it's, but then also my cousin's like, yeah, it actually doesn't matter that much, right? Like yeah. the one really big risk is smoking, even smoking's like, that's like smoking a serious habit over 40 years. Yeah. That does really jack up the risk of, hmm. of lung disease. That's 40 years. It's not like if you and I just went and had a cigarette now, it's negligible what the effect is.
0: Yeah, I think there's life, all... Yeah, right? no. Like, we've kind of true. gone
1: so far the other way. Like, obviously... Obviously, if you're, like, seriously overweight, yeah, it's a big problem. But even friends yeah. who, like, work in the ER, they'd be like, yeah, the people who I see having cardiac arrests in their 40s are, like, weighing 500 pounds. And right. We yeah. don't realize how many people there are like that because most of our shut-ins doing nothing. Yeah. But like for your average person, yeah, they may have a beer belly or something. No, that's a really, know.
0: really that's a really good point. Like I, I, I think you're right that there are a lot, there are probably a lot of people who just meet the threshold of yeah. like the technical definition yeah. of obese um, who are not necessarily at yeah. great risk of anything in particular and perhaps, yeah. and, and and there's actually even the, the more extreme cases of people who just are big boned or just have certain body types, right, yeah. that are the the sort of typical person might sort of call them obese or, yeah. or sort of see them, uh, you know, there's a lot of stigma around just non-traditional body types, right. Mm, or, yeah. or just any body type that's not the, you know, like the supermodel, yeah. uh, image. Uh, so that's, de- that's obviously definitely yeah. a massive thing. Um, and so there are ways of having a big body that are not at all necessarily like health problematic, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's, but there is also this other thing though that, there is this kind of tendency I think where people want to be um in the in the desire to not be like fat shaming and not stigmatizing yeah. there is this sort of there's a slight overcorrection I think sometimes because there are there are certain discourses or certain types of people will make certain types of arguments um that seem to kind of like underrate the health severity of 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 serious obesity hmm. um like that that the critique of obesity as a health problem yeah. itself is kind of like mythical uh, and I don't think you're saying that. I think no. we're just distinguishing between uh, uh, somewhat heavyweight or somewhat overweight people, yeah. you know, over, to quote unquote overweight people who might actually be relatively perfectly healthy and, and perfectly yeah. fine, um, and extreme obesity, uh, which is in fact associated with yeah. all different kinds of things like lower life expectancy and, you know, heart, heart disease, yeah. and these types of things. Um, have you ever seen that type of stuff? I mean, you'll sometimes see articles online and stuff like that, and certain sort of, uh, personalities who, uh, who, who will almost kind of say that the, the worry about obesity or, or the very sort of, uh, claim that obesity is associated with serious health problems is itself kind of like mythical completely. And, and some people will argue that, uh, obesity is actually associated with, you know, these positive health effects. Um, and I'm, I don't know enough about it to know, but I'm curious because it doesn't It seems conflict, conflictual with a lot of the evidence.
1: Yeah. Well, the study I saw was this Danish study and it was kind of like over 40 years. So the claim is making is that basically up until the 1980s, um, being obese was a health risk, but since the 1980s, it's actually not just not a health risk. It's actually healthier than
0: being underweight now. Now, is that true? That's what it was saying. I guess I'm just going off. The yeah, no, no, no. Right? I'm just curious. I, i obviously neither of us are. And so, so the on.
1: argument was this. So here's here's the interesting argument, right? Is that actually being underweight, as in having a low body fat percentage, also mm-hmm. carries health risks, mm-hmm. right? And then, like the flip side is people who are anorexic. That's really stressing. Like, there's yeah. a lot of like, like a, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's people who die. Like a lot of you know, not a lot, but like people who die from anorexia put themselves in really serious health problems right. just because they're so definitely undernourished. Right. There's that health risk, but there's also just not being hardy enough. Right. Like yeah. actually one of the reasons I just know this because my dad died of cancer. Right. But I, like one of the serious health risks when you have cancer, like a large percentage of people who die from cancer starve to death. Right. right. And actually being when he, when he was diagnosed with cancer, what like he had a terminal diagnosis. But one of the things I said early on is you really have to, keep your calorie consumption up because mm-hmm. the cancer, one of the things it does actually starves your appetite. Oh, and so that's wow. one of the reasons why like cannabis is used in cancer things, like huh. up your appetite because you basically people just lose the appetite and can't sustain themselves anymore. And so mm-hmm. if you're overweight and you get cancer in some cases, it, that actually keeps you alive longer, actually helps you stay alive, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's weird stuff like that, right? And then apparently a lot of the, a lot of the obvious health risks associated with being overweight It's a lot easier to treat now with medical intervention, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, the obvious one's cardiac arrest and, like, whatever. But actually, we've gotten quite good at treating heart disease, right? With, like, drugs and stents and all that, right? Yeah. And bypass surgery.
0: Yeah.
1: That that technology's jumped, like, light years from the 1960s and 70s, right? Right, right. So, so in a a weird way, the the medicines actually made it healthier to be overweight now. Right,
0: right. That's interesting um yeah i mean i feel like again yeah i'm not an expert on it at all i don't know much about the research at all but i it's intuitively sensible and appealing to me that the probably what you're saying is that the there's a sort of upside down u shape right and the relationship between uh body weight yeah or fat or whatever however you want to measure it and sort of health optimality right so like middle levels uh perhaps sort of low levels of of on the higher end of body weight, you know, medium, medium to high yeah. body weight or whatever um, could be ideal. But obviously, when you start approaching 600 pounds or something like that, uh, you yeah. are probably...
1: I'd say up to XL.
0: Yeah, yeah. Between XL and M, you're safe. Put it this way. I would definitely agree with ah. the idea that our typ- our society's typical image of the ideal healthy body yeah. is totally underweight. Oh yeah,
1: I mean, even for men, right? Like, obviously, women get it way, way worse than than guys do, right? But I'm like the the big male underpants model stereotype, right? Like, you've basically got to have like six percent body fat to have like a six pack showing and stuff, right? And that's like a really and is that probably not healthy? Yeah, like ten percent is healthier, yeah. ten to twelve, right? So you're you're undersized you're like 50 percent undersized with the body fat you want right you probably want twice as much body fat as that because you're basically making yourself emaciated so these muscles underneath your belly skin show right and that's like yeah you know if you get Um, stuck in
0: like the the mountains in the cold you're not going to do well
1: yeah i mean it's either unhealthy or it's like you know obviously professional athletes do this but like professional athletes burning five thousand calories a day right that's like not damn Right, that's not a but you know, like a professional, like someone who's like playing for the Southampton football club or whatever, they're probably doing two or three workouts that would kill us a day, yeah. Right? Like, they're the, the, the level they can exert because they've just done crazy physical fitness since they're kids, plus, they also have like everything calibrated for them, plus, probably a lot of them also do like serious performance enhancing interventions, right? Yeah, legal and illegal, right? So you've got all of that poured into something and then you compare it to like your average person, they've got they've got no shot and they've kind of put a mental construct in their head for like a unattainable ideal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah, totally. That's interesting. Yeah, I think uh, there's got to be other reasons besides uh, body image for doing these things, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, yeah, maybe I'll have to look into it. So, maybe lo- the lower end of overweight or the, what our society defines as overweight, the lower end of overweight might actually be better than what our society defines as normal or optimal Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, obesity is as we as we think of, as we think of it. Um, cer- certainly, there is something about obesity that's new and is kind of like peculiar to kind of late capitalist kind of advanced uh, countries, right? I, I, well, I'd say, yeah, but part of it's like, again, is it all that bad,
1: right? Like, like mm. the, okay, so the obvious cause is that people eat more calories than they burn, okay? So, part of it's obviously a rise in a sedentary lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? As we've moved from manual labor to desk jobs, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, it's totally yeah, okay. fine, right? Um, but part of it's also just, like, access to calories. Like, I'm sure, like, like the starvation rate now amongst... The poor in like developed countries is negligible compared to what it would have been even in the 19th century, right? Of course, right, and that's that means like not a bad thing at all. Oh right? sure, like yeah, okay. So obviously, um, we'd prefer healthier diets and all of this, yada yada. But but what's kind of weird to me is like that now seems to be the next wave, right? Is that now it's going to and it's going to be mass availability. Of high quality food to hmm. people, right? Exactly. It's, well, this like you just look at like what restaurant chains serve now compared to when I was a kid, hmm. right? I or know. Like, what I, meals are now. Or... Maybe you're right.
0: I mean, that's a, that's definitely a happy thought. I I don't know if it's just that maybe I'm, maybe we're, I'm just more pessimistic uh, by temperament, but to me, I feel like it sure seems like it's just going to become increasingly polarized uh, in the sense that. Yeah, middle class people will start to eat healthier and healthier as we learn mm-hmm. all the crazy negative health effects of what's in most typical foods. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, high fructose corn syrup and this sort of stuff. As knowledge around the insanely negative health effects of that sort of shit increases, yeah, middle class people will start to move towards yeah. uh, much healthier options. Uh, but poor people are gonna be left with nothing else but fucking McDonald's and shit like that.
1: Yeah, maybe, but I think that also like those places will start. They'll basically Mm. figure out cheaper ways to do that, right? Okay. Like, I mean, to me, to me, it's it's a couple things, right? Like, there's this movement to always cook at home, and I actually cook a fair bit for myself, right? But part of me is also like, is that really, like, the best, right? Mm. I'm like, that's like, if you follow like all these life hacking things, you actually do everything (laughs) they ask. Like, there's there's a way you're working yourself to the bone doing that too, Mm. even like in the pursuit of efficiencies, right? And like to me, what's what's miraculous is that. Basically anyone now can have all their meals prepared and served for them.
0: Right? Yeah, and yeah. like
1: that's like that's really new, right? Like that was you go back 100 years and most of human population was mm-hmm. subsistence farming. Like they had to not just make their own food, they had to farm their little plot of land in order to or sustain themselves.
0: That's right? true. I'm actually very sympathetic to that argument. Yeah. That, that's basically that did you see that Jacobin article about no. sort of I think the author calls this it's what the author calls culinary modernism, which yeah. I think is just a kind of cute term that they came up with to basically, uh, describe the sort of, uh, precisely what you're talking about, sort of the ability to deliver, uh, you know, basically decent food of different, yeah. uh, you know, the different food groups, uh, in a basically tasty way yeah. to like millions of people. Right. Uh, yeah. that we've evolved this basic kind of technical capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the article, it got a lot of play. You probably like it cause it's basically arguing what well, you're arguing that, you know, this gets a bad rap from mm. sort of lo- lots of lefties who kind of think, yeah. uh, you know, it's industri- you know, industrial capitalism of food and this kind of shit. And, it- and there's all this sort of negative energy directed towards that. But this author's kind of like, no, it's actually fucking great. And we should be celebrating this and we should just be trying to figure out how to improve it and extend it to more people. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of interesting because she's sort of right that the author of this article, I forget her name, um, that it is often seen as a bad thing. But actually, it's pretty incredible on some level.
1: Yeah, no, I I have this weird view. Like, I've got this, so this other thing, like, this kind of, it's an abstract. There's nothing more than that, say, on my computer. But I've got, it's like a similar thought, is that uh, one day I was, like, having to do some house cleaning. And I was kind of grumbling to myself and thinking, really, what we need is universal, single-payer house cleaning. Like, the government, we should just pay more taxes, and the government should come in and have, like, house cleaners for everybody. Or make robots to do it. Yeah, or make robots, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Because, again, it's, like, it's domestic labor, and obviously anyone who's rich, right, one of the – not even rich, like, anyone who, like, attains a certain standard in, like, professional class, right – one of the first things they do is they start hiring labor to do a lot of the chores around the house, right? right? So it's like cleaning the house, doing laundry, picking up the dry cleaner, right? Like, So it's quite clear that like no one wants to do this shit, right? Like, some people may claim they do, but they're just oppressed in some way, shape, or form, right? And so... You know, there's there's an obvious feminist argument that most of that domestic chore labor tends to fall on women. So it's like a, a gender patriarchy issue. Mm-hmm. And so what's the way to correct those kinds of imbalances? Some kind of redistributive mechanism. And in this case, it's like, yeah, it's a job. And so that job should be remunerated. And then who should do it? The government should. We should pay more taxes. And then totally. the state, you should have like a national house cleaning service. Yeah, yeah. Come into your house. And they clean all your shit for you, and someone gets paid for it, and everyone loves it, and that crazy jobs for people. And then, yeah, maybe eventually robots come and replace it. Exactly. I mean, this is the
0: whole like fully automated luxury communism yeah. move, right? Yeah. We should just be having. We should. We should have mass investment in basically making souped-up robots uh, to yeah. do all of the shit for everyone. Yeah. I'm and, in favor of it. And then we all just have time to flourish and do whatever the fuck. Yeah,
1: I mean. see with food, right? It's like, yeah, okay, so everyone wants that. I don't necessarily. I mean, I actually think that that most people don't even want to go to restaurants. Most people want, like, nice food delivered yeah. to them at <laughs> yeah. the end of the day, yeah. right? And, like, there's obviously an education thing about what's a healthy versus an unhealthy choice. And it, there probably is, like, you know, I don't even know. Like, I, I honestly think that if most people had access to kind of nutrient-rich, healthy foods and appropriate portions, we're just told, here's what you need to eat. And here's what it is when I provide it for you. Most people just follow a plan like that and then <laughs> say, okay, maybe once or twice a week you can yeah. stuff your gourd. But I actually think that most people, if that kind of basic need was met for them, wouldn't think that much about it. Yeah. I actually think yeah. there's a way in which the manufacturing of choice by capitalism saying, Oh, you know, isn't it great you have all these choices and you default to something, you probably don't even realize why you default to the yeah. Yeah. the unhealthy. If you were nudged towards healthy Whatever food that kind of, you know, everyone's obviously got like slightly different culinary tastes and stuff. We've so you could kind of meet all those things and just mm-hmm. provide it, again, I actually think most people would
0: default towards that. True, it's true, probably. And uh, also, well, yeah, no, I see your point. I don't know if I agree, but I, I see your point. I mean, on a slightly, on a related but slightly different note, um, have you noticed that grocery delivery is very big in the UK? Yeah. In a way that it's not in the States as far as I remember. Like, yeah. from what I remember in the States, you only really get your groceries delivered if you're, like, a senior citizen or if you're handicapped or yeah. if you have some sort of, you know, special need. Um, here it seems very popular. Like, mo- yeah. like a lot of people do it just by default. Yeah. Is that right? Is that that's my impression? Oh, yeah. It's,
1: it's kind of funny. Like, Alice doesn't want to do it. I'm kind of like, do let's do it. Do it. We, we've done it a bit, and I like it, and Alice hates it. It's kind of like this weird it thing. It seems
0: dope. I just haven't done I, have, I We haven't really done it. I don't think we've ever done it. Um, we've but totally only Only because, it. only because um, it's just I'm not culturally as, like, I don't. I never, I've never done it before. I've never thought of ordering groceries, but it seems like a great idea. Yeah, no, I, I
1: totally agree. I don't know what Alice... So here's the funny, like if you want to get in like domestic, whatever. It's cheap
0: too, right? Like you don't even have to pay. It. It's like a, a dollar or something, a pound.
1: I think it's a pound. I'm not sure if it's like any more. I imagine it's a little bit more expensive than the grocery store, but maybe not. I have no
0: idea. It's worth trying. I think it's I think it's as cheap as just a pound uh, to yeah. have delivered. And that's why it's so popular because it's yeah. not that expensive. Anyway, I'm not sure, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, so so Alice is like against it, but she's also against grocery shopping. Like she hates she hates those two things, but she doesn't want us to do that. It's kinda of like but I think it's like a very weird American programming.
0: Is she opposed because for like ethical or political reasons or no? What? No. Just what I mean her one
1: complaint is that and this is kind of true, is that when you get produce it's often close to its expiry date. Hmm right so that's like the one kind of minor issue but i'm kind of also like a lot of produce expiry dates are kind of like under sell, sell a lot like if that's yeah. something like may 10th you can yeah so i'm a bit less concerned about that that's the one complaint I, I but my my bigger sense is that weird cultural programming you have in the u.s you have to go to the, do the groceries yourself right so is that a
0: cultural programming
1: yeah I think so I think it's like you hmm. you find it weird why haven't you done it since you moved here
0: it's not because I feel like some ethical uh, compulsion to do grocery shopping Mm -hmm. it's more just that I don't see um, I don't see ordering groceries online to be uh, like a I don't see that as like an appropriate or uh, you know yeah
1: um, it's not appropriate you're making a normative thing right where to me I'm like yeah okay let's think about it right you basically pick a slot where you know you're going to be home and then it's like five minutes. To, we've done it, so it's like five minutes to set it up and order it. It so says it's the as easiest as ordering. Books yeah, I don't Amazon, know why. I Don't do that.
0: Right. You know what? Maybe I. Maybe to be honest, I. Since I walk past the grocery store on the way home from uh, yeah. campus. Yeah. I think I kind of like it, maybe, because it's like I just stop in and grab a few things, um, and it's like, maybe there's something about it I'd like. But but actually, I mean, I want to be. I want to minimize all unnecessary alienated labor. So I'm all for basically anything yeah. that will. Get tasks off my list of things yeah. to do. So I'm
1: gonna just do it. I'm gonna do it. This is good. Well, this is inspiring me. Maybe yeah, I'll start. Let's do it ordering. without Alice's
0: permission. It cause really <laughs> a crisis in our house. Uh, no, this is good. See, this podcast is like delivering uh, yeah. actionable insights for me. So to what are we doing? We're gonna take life. up
1: gambling, and we're gonna order groceries, and we're gonna take up kettlebells
0: shit are we because is this becoming like a like a self-help kind of like uh, tim ferris competitor type thing no i don't not think i, would no, I don't want to that. help anyone yeah. else
1: i think it's like auto help yeah you're right we're just helping i think ourselves. actually what we should do is like just experiment ourselves and report back we're just helping ourselves think, yeah all right so do you want to do kettlebells or should you and i go try crossfit together
0: no i'm I, like i said i don't want to be part of a culture so i don't think i i, I don't think i could do crossfit mm-hmm. um and we, as we determined, kettlebells will not work for my goals and needs. What are your goals and needs? Well, like I said, it needs to be quick, easy, and I need to be able to do it around the house without much learning do or skills. Um, yeah, that is actually what I do sometimes. in pull ups. So maybe I'll just say, stick. Yeah. With, maybe I'll just stick with that like old fashioned kind of type of exercise. I would
1: say if you did push ups, pull ups, squats, push, pull, squat. You need some kind of pressing. That's the well. I guess the push ups are press. And yeah, I those three.
0: Okay, good. I'll do it, and then I'll report back on our next yeah, podcast. Yeah, go,
1: go, like fun. There's like a hundred push-up program, hundred squat program, and then do a pull-up program.
0: Dude, you know what I might do? Um, I might start doing cold bath. What's that? Um, cold water immersion. Basically, just ha- run a cold bath the first thing in the, in the, the morning. What do you get out of that? Um, a lot. Uh, it generates norepinephrine, which is uh-huh. basically uh, one of the kind of one of the hormones that Helps you with basically kind of executive function mm. like alertness, vigilance. Well, um, and you have to in fact, mod, in fact, modafinil, one of the um, nootropics that I like, uh, yeah. it, it it that basically works by by generating norepinephrine, uh, norepinephrine, and so a cold bath kind of uh, is like a dose of the same thing as modafinil. If I if I'm understanding these things correctly, I I'm not trained in any of this stuff, and I I just sort of piece together what I can from reading about it online. Um, so yeah, and actually cold baths have other positive effects, um, when you do them regularly. So I think I'm going to start working that into my routine. Also just sort of mental willpower and discipline. How long
1: do you have to like do the cold bath for?
0: Um, I don't know. I could read up on that. I'm planning to just do sort of just short immersions, like basically go in, go under water for like, you know, 30 seconds, just chill, let it wake my body the fuck up like crazy. And then probably just like kind of rinse my hair a little bit. So like a a little bit of cleaning too. Um, yeah, I could do cold shower. That just seems, like, less attractive to me. Mm. Something about being totally underwater uh, in cold water. I mean, I'm attracted to... It seems like a challenge, because it sounds really... It's going to be hard and uncomfortable. Mm. Like, I'm not going to want to do it. Um, but there's something... There's something I like about uh, sort of subjecting myself to low-level punishment, kind mm. of. Uh, just kind of, like, waking myself up and yeah. uh, being able to subject myself to discomfort Mm -hmm. it's kind of like stoic thing actually really um Mm. as a spiritual practice in in a sense it's good yeah also can't you just imagine like being submerged in cold water and then getting out new york starting your day after like having this like fucking kick to your nervous system
1: all right you do that and report back okay all right are we done the podcast then
0: army what do you think how long have we gone oh it doesn't matter we can quit whenever um how long? Oh, shit. We've gone an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, we said we were only going to... a long time. So I think, I think it's gonna... a good time to stop. Um, okay. I'll throw you in a cold bath. All right. Any last thoughts? No. Um, thank you, Jonathan. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. No, I got the fuck out of my house. No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, All right. I'll stop it.